Jesus was talking to the crowds one day. He said, I got a story that will blow you away. I know you're discouraged. I can see you're dismayed. But take heart and take courage and keep trying to pray. He said, in a certain city was this certain judge. When people came to him for justice, he did not give a fudge. He didn't respect people, and he didn't care for God. He had the moral conscience of a cephalopod. And then there was this widow who came day and night, saying, grant me some justice, try and do what's right. You know my opponent is just doing me wrong. That's why I keep on coming and singing this same song. Now a widow at that time didn't have any rights. She had no one to help her or to take up her fights. No possessions, no standing in a court of law. Getting help from a judge was the only hope she saw. Finally our judge stopped and said to himself, if I keep sticking this case on the back of the shelf, just ignoring her pleas, just ignoring her shouts, this widow won't stop. She'll keep wearing me out. So I will grant her justice just to keep her away. Then I'll have some peace and quiet on this day. Though I don't care about God or the citizenry, and I look at my job hypocritically. Jesus said, are you hearing what this slimy judge said? But we have a God of love and justice instead. Will God fail to give justice? Will God fail to give hope? God will hear every cry, every yammer, and yelp. God knows every plea of a nation in need. God loves every person, any color or creed. Every widow and orphan, no matter what they profess, every person who's stressed, every immigrant oppressed, every kid in distress, every life that's a mess, every justice repressed, every need for redress, and every desperate request. But you got to have heart. All you really need is heart. Keep staying, keep praying, keep playing your part, though the nation may seem like it's falling apart. Be persistent, be resistant, just know where you stand. Be impatient. Our salvation is already at hand. Though the Yankees may win and the Yankees may lose, how you experience life depends on the paths that you choose. But know that God hears you and know that God cares. God will never, ever leave you in the pit of despair, drawing near you. God will hear you, give you justice and love. So keep praying, keep staying in love with your God. Be persistent, be insistent, let them know where you stand. Be impatient. Our salvation is already at hand. You don't need to be running with some winning streak. You don't need to know Hebrew. You don't need to know Greek. Because you already have what you're trying to seek. What counts is your relation with the one whom you seek. To love God is your salvation, as Lee told you last week. But you got to have heart. What you really need is heart. 
When the odds are saying we're up the creek, we shouldn't freak before we start. We gotta have hope, miles and miles and miles of hope. Nothing's quite as bad as it may appear. Wait till next year and hope. A great nation we still haven't got. A great denomination we haven't got. A great government. But what do we got? We got hard miles and miles and miles of heart. Though our faith it may lapse and our roof may collapse, we got heart. Now Jesus told them this parable so that they would know to keep praying and not lose heart. But it's hard to have heart when the world has come apart, when we're mired in injustice and sin. Where to begin with heart? It's hard to have hope when this world is run by, when the future's looking troubled and dim and filled to the brim with hate. God knows, God knows that you and I are sometimes impatient. God knows that. God loves that. God doesn't have a problem with that. God doesn't have a problem with our insistence and our persistence and our impatience with the things that frustrate us and keep us down and threaten us with despair. You see, it's not our impatience that God has a problem with. It's our infernal patience with things that should drive us crazy, things that we shouldn't be willing to put up with, but we do. It's because of that we need to take heart, drag ourselves as well as we can out of our different swamps of despair that we find ourselves in, and keep doing the work, keep doing the work of justice and love in what seems at the moment to be a pretty unjust world, a pretty unloving world. That's our job. That's our task. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the way of God. And that, I believe, is our path to salvation. Because I have found, as I think and live and work in this world, that our individual salvation is tied up together with the salvation of our world. It makes no sense to me, for me to be saved and let the world go to hell. The good news, and here's the good news. The good news is that neither one of them depends on me. <laughs> neither one of those things depends on us. Because I have found that neither individual salvation nor the salvation of the world happens because of us. However, neither individual salvation nor the salvation of the world happens without us either. That's what John Wesley taught, the need for a, a personal holiness that's never separable from a social holiness, a lived out holiness. 
Wesley decried the me and Jesus, saved alone kind of Christianity. He once wrote, directly opposite to this is the gospel of Christ. A solitary religion is not to be found in the gospel of Christ. Holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. Get away with words. The gospel of Christ, said Wesley, knows of no religion but social religion. No holiness but a social holiness. And holiness is what the Christian project is about. Not a holier-than-thou sort of holiness, but a deep-down, lived-out kind of a holiness. One of John Wesley's many, many, many enemies back then was his friend, the priest and hymn writer by the fantastic name of Augustus M. Toplady. If I, if I have another kid, we're not going to have another kid. If we did have another kid, I would want to name it Augustus M. Toplady. Toplady. Hmm, scary thought. Toplady was convinced that there wasn't any role for us mere humans in the work of salvation. It all depends on God. And he had a point. What Wesley insisted on, and what they argued about endlessly, was that though grace and salvation flow from God, they flow through us. They flow through you. And they flow through me. Wesley said, okay, we're saved by grace, by grace alone. But if things stop there, so what? So what? What difference would that make to anybody who isn't me? Wesley insisted that being saved is a vital thing, a necessary thing, but if it doesn't lead to a changed life, who cares? I don't think Augustus M. Toplady ever saw it that way, but his most famous hymn, which is this insistent, impatient plea to Jesus, gives a bit of a hint to that way of thinking. And the hymn is it's probably one of the best-known hymns that we never sing around here. And we never sing it, not because it's not a good song. It's a perfectly good song. And not because it is a perfectly meaningful, deeply meaningful hymn, because it is. I think at some point it became too popular and kind of a spoof uh, to the point where it also gave its name to a Broadway musical. So I love it because it mirrors the insistence and persistence of our widow friend who would not give up on her holy impatience and her insistence on the justice and peace and salvation that she knows she needs. She knows she needs. And at least in its first line, it mirrors Wesley's insistence that personal salvation is not of any value to anybody if it doesn't change the way we live. It's not only what we're saved from that mattered to Wesley, and that should matter to us. It's what we're saved for. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin. The double cure, the double cure. Saved from wrath, that's good. And make me pure. That's better. May it be so. Amen.